When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I said that I valued time with my family. I said that I valued coffee with a friend. I said that I valued these things. But when I looked at the data, when I pulled my bank statements, it didn't show that. Spend extravagantly on the things that you love, but stop spending money on the, on the junk you don't care about. Dear young married couple, you're in a busy season of your life. You're probably working and involved in ministry. On top of that, you might even be parents or students. You're maxed, but you really want to stay connected in your marriage. And that's why we're bringing this podcast to you. I'm Adam King. And I'm Carissa King. And we work with busy couples just like you in our counseling office here in Sacramento, California. We also work with couples all over the world through online counseling And our couples are really just looking for ways to communicate with each other more effectively. Some of them are looking to heal from a breach in trust or find direction in fulfilling the purpose that God has for them. So come and join us as we have a conversation. We'll talk with therapists, authors, pastors, and other couples who will pour into us, giving us tools to become more intimately connected, get adventurous, and find purpose. We wanted to also thank Relate for sponsoring today's podcast, and you'll hear more about them during the commercial break in the middle. Welcome, everyone, to the Dear Your Mary Couple podcast. We are so excited to have Adrian Hildebrand here today. Welcome, Adrian. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, for those who are listening, Adrian, if you haven't heard about her, she is a financial speaker. Um, she's a certified financial education instructor, and she's also a financial coach. Um, and so she, uh, I've listened to her podcast. She's a, the host of the Faith and Finance podcast, and she just has so many great tips Um, practical advice and nuggets of wisdom to share. So we are thankful that she's here to talk about um, tips for couples and their finances and specifically about what's going on in uh, the COVID-19 crisis. So thanks, Adrian, for being here. Thank you guys for having me. I love what you're doing and love dear young married couple. And I'm so thankful for your ministry. Uh, Well, it's an honor to have it actually, to have the opportunity especially to have the opportunity to talk to people like you. Yes. Um, Well, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So we obviously are having you on to talk about finances. We know that finances can be such a sticky subject within marriage. It really can't. It can be a strength, but it also can be one of those things that contributes to the fractures in a marriage. Mm. Um, So... um, so we have so much to talk about. We have coronavirus to talk about, like what are the things, practical things that maybe we can do to prepare 
or prepare for any sort of um, event that catches us off guard. And then maybe into um, we'll transition into what you commonly see through coaching happening within marriage yeah. that, that people can avoid some of the yeah. sticky places. So just to start us off, what are the common concerns about finances that people generally have? Yeah. So number one is most people are are steep in debt. The ones that I've worked with and in America specifically, debt is very normal. Um, we have student loan debt, we have car debt, we have all kinds of debt. And so it's not just that, but then it's, okay, well, where's my money going every month? Um, when you have debt, for me personally, it made my life so much more complicated because I had 800 million payments going out, right? <laughs> right. And so people when they come to me, generally, they're like, I just feel lost. I feel lost. I don't know what to do. They know that they want to do something different, right? Mm -hmm. They know that something needs to change. And you guys probably see that too. Most people don't come to you probably when things are going great. Although I think that we probably should like go before things get bad. Right. Um, same with me too. Uh, someone actually said to me the other day, well, I'm not, I'm not really in debt. Do I still need a financial coach? And I was like, well, yeah, you can use finance just like you could go to a counselor or a, yes. um, a therapist and still yeah. get therapy, even when things are good, because it helps you to deal. It's maintenance, right? Yes. So yeah. those are things like that. Also, um, a lot of times I get questions about, well, Adrian, I just, I don't, we don't even have enough money to pay our bills every mm. month, right? Yeah. Or I can't, a lot of times some people are in one income families. Thing, mm-hmm. the, every situation is different, but I think it comes down to the fact that we all worry about money when we don't know how to handle it, right? Because yeah. mm-hmm. um, things that we don't know about seem a lot more scary than than things that we do deal with and things that we actually come to, um, uh, I guess, terms to, right? So it, it's kind of like when people, after usually first meeting with me, people are, already feel more chill, about their financial financial situation. Yes, it may be like that they have a ton of things going on, but they feel better because it's they see it and they're like, oh, I can breathe because there's a plan now, right? Yes. Um, yes. So, I mean, it, there's a lot of things, but also some of it too, I think really comes down to behavior and habits. Um, money is very behavioral. Dealing with money is very uh, behavioral. And so a lot of times people come to me and it's all the same kind of thing. It's about behavior though and changing. They want to change something about, they think it's about their money, but it's really about their behavior around the money. I think that's what it mostly comes down to. Um, And that, that was true for me too. I'm not saying, you know, I'm better because that was me too. I had to deal with the behavior around what got me into the um, financial situation. Right. Right. That's Um, so good. I love that you talk about, the behavioral aspect, because it, I think especially when you bring marriage into the mix, you're talking about mm-hmm. two different upbringings, two different sets of values, two different um, norms when it comes to discussion around finances and the word money, whether it's an icky word, an evil word, um, a fun word, you know, and yeah. therefore two different sets of behaviors. Yeah. I, I love that we and we've talked about this too. And your episode will air later in the year on my show. But we t- we we talked a little bit about this, um, how it, certain words are more triggering to others in a good way or in a bad. Like so, even just thoughts about how I don't know. I'm trying to think of something. How uh, grocery shopping should be done? Maybe different. You know, things that don't seem 
significant, but they can cause an issue if you don't talk about them, right? And it's the same with money. Um, you know the statistic, we've all heard it, that one of the biggest reasons couples fight, married couples fight, and even divorce is because of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't have those conversations truthfully, and I know that most of the people listening are married or about to be married, but if you don't have those conversations before you get married, it can cause some issues. And so I'm on like a, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, a mission, I guess, to change that conversation even before we get married. The same like what you guys are doing with your new deck um, and stuff like that, more about dating. And of course there's lines and I'm trying to figure all that out, but having that conversation before things get bad. And truthfully, my husband and I didn't. Things were already kind of when we decided to talk about it. And so that's why I like sharing our story now is that, yes, it's hard, but you can also come through it, you know. So when people come to you for advice on their finances or they have a big problem, um, how often do they come to you and they're on the same page with their money? (laughs) Not very. We'll be right back to the show, but here's a quick break from our sponsor. So we are huge advocates of couples taking an assessment to know where they are in their relationship. Like what are your strengths? What are your challenges? Well, Relate Foundation reached out to us a while back about taking their assessment, and we loved how it was laid out. It assesses things like communication, conflict resolution, sexual satisfaction, and even individual traits like self-esteem, flexibility, and maturity. The cool part about this assessment is that you can take it as an individual, which is 25 bucks, or you can take it as a couple and link your results into one PDF, which is 40 bucks. But they're offering a deal to the DYMC community, 20% off if you use the code DYMC. So go to relatefoundation.com slash couples to check it out today. All right, back to the show. They, they may be on this. Okay, so I guess maybe they're on the same page, but... Uh... They're in the same chapter, but not on the same page. Does okay. that make sense? Yes. So they're break kind it, of like break that apart. Yes. Yeah, so one person may be they may realize that there's a debt issue, or I, I'm just using debt because that really is a big issue people come to, come to me with. They're using debt or overspending uh, as the baseline, right? But the wife or the husband may say maybe a little bit ahead in the book, right? They may be saying, "Well, I'm ready to change," but my wife she gets that there's a problem, but she doesn't really want to do anything to change it yet or vice versa. Um, and so that sometimes is difficult and it, and I'll be honest, it's something I'm still learning and, and actually educating myself on, um, through, through, through methods like you guys would use in dealing with things like that. Um, because I'm not a therapist, I'm not a counselor, I'm a, a coach and I help, I, uh, not really a cheerleader, but I guess that's a better way. To <laughs> yeah, put it, there you right? go. So I'm trying to learn some of those tactics to help that conversation, help facilitate that conversation. And so, um, you know, I don't claim to know all the things either. You know, I'm still young married myself. I'm still, um, but it's, it's a lot of times like that where one person may feel a little bit uh, more ahead, I guess, than the other person, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I guess it comes back down to values and you probably see this too. Like, okay, so the wife is the homemaker, let's say in this situation. And she really sees that all of her kids really need clothes because they're all growing Mm -hmm. out. So she's spending the money on that, which is a 
okay, that's noble. But the husband's like, well, let's get out of debt. So they're both good things, but maybe that that's where the disagreement enters. Well, they have yes. different perspectives. Absolutely. And that's why I preach something called value aligned spending all the time. It's not about when people come to me, it's not about deprivation. It's not about, um, you know, I can't do this, but I can do this. It's, it's more about, okay, what do you actually care about? What, tell me, I tell me what you love to spend money on. And then people are like, what? <laughs> but tell me, what do you love spending money on? Yeah. Okay. And then when you can get clear about that, okay, well, okay, you like spending money on this. Now tell me about the things you care about in life. It can be as simple as, you know, of course, our family, our church, giving, things like that. But like one of my values is good coffee. That is not, I don't play around. I do not. Yes. I don't play around. And so it can be a simple something like that. Good coffee with a friend once a week. Okay. Those are great. Now, Ramit Sethi, he's a personal finance dude, and he says, um, spend extravagantly on the things that you love, but forget about all the other things you don't care about. Stop spending money on the, on the junk you don't care about, right? So, when, so one of the first exercises I have people do is tell me what they like to spend money on. What do you like? I'm not, I like spending money. I'm a spender at heart. But when I started realizing that the things that I was spending money on, and I share this when I speak at churches and even in my podcast a lot. So I'll just share it here too. But, you know, I said that I valued time with my family. I said that I valued coffee with a friend. I said that I valued these things. But when I looked at the data, when I pulled my bank statements, it didn't show that. It showed that I I valued, I cared about McDonald's because I was too lazy to make dinner that night. It showed that I valued going to Goodwill spending all my money, even though I'd like thrifting, but for no reason, right? So the data didn't lie. I had to own up and then I was able to move forward. But but I had to figure out what I actually did care about spending money on first. I love and that. And I think that's a really good exercise for that's people. so good rather than jumping right to the data or jumping right to budget even you're saying hey what do you like let's find out what the goal is first and then we'll go and figure right. out the discrepancy and I can see that working really well with a couple not just with an individual you know in their joint finances so yeah. we can see where are these uh you know these line items allocated is it favoring your values or your values or your joint values Mm, yeah. And I can't overemphasize what you're saying enough. Just taking the time, sitting down with a piece of paper with nothing else going on and not trying to do it in your head because it never turns out the way <laughs> just a good piece of paper and a pen will turn out and how much peace you get just from writing things down. Yeah. Yes. So so say that they do that. Okay, we, we figure out um, our values I value good coffee too. I value golfing <laughs> with friends. I value some of those things that aren't super expensive. Maybe cut out the things that we're just needing to get that itch, to scratch that itch. I need to spend something. So kind of cross those out. Now, where would you turn your focus if you're coaching someone? Yeah, now I would say, okay, so this is the goal, right? Start with the end in mind is, what is it? Stephen Covey says that, I think. Um well, everybody says it, but I think it originated with him. I'm not sure. Probably originated with Jesus. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, 
but truthfully maybe you know well it did from the foundation of the uh the world the lamb was slain so he did start with the end that's Ooh, right there you go girl come on <laughs> okay um, <laughs> so okay you got your goals now i always say two when you look at your situation, you look at your income, what you're bringing in, what you're, um, and then what you're spending, you may have an income problem where you're, um, you truly don't have enough money coming in and you've already scratched the, to the bare minimum, right? Mm-hmm. Or you may have an, a spending problem where you're spending too much, or you may be okay. It could be a number of those mm-hmm. things, right? And so once we figure out what we actually care about and what we do want to spend money on, then we look at the data. Math doesn't lie. It's just numbers. Mm-hmm. Wish it did, but it doesn't. <laughs> Light in um, our favor. <laughs> right. And so you just have to look at it and say, okay, what could I, if, so let's say then you, you're really wanting to get out of debt or you're wanting to save to um, save $2,000 to go on a vacation. It can be even as simple as that. Right. So, but at this point, you obviously don't have it. So you figure out what your goal is, what you want to spend money on, figure out what the difference is. Um, and that's more in depth, of course. But the point is that when, okay, for instance, me, when we were steep in debt and we had no money coming in because we had both lost our jobs, my business sold off the inventory, whatever. Um you know, we were willing to make some sacrifices for a set period of time. So like I said, it's not about deprivation, but I had, we had to make some sacrifices for a certain amount of time in order to get to the point where we could uh, more easily reach our goals. Right. And so what that looked like for me was working a lot of jobs and I don't necessarily recommend that, but at the time, that's what we could do. Right. You control control. Um, I couldn't control necessarily my certain job at the, at the time, but it also enabled me to get a couple side hustles going. Right. Um, and so you learn some resilience through that as well. And learning that you can't just, when you put yourself in a position where your situation is, is really a lot of your fault, right? Like the debt was my fault. Um, right. It's not about, what was me? It's about saying, okay, well now I've dealt with it. How do I deal now I've dealt with the reality. How do I deal with it moving forward? And that for me, for us, looked like me working a couple of jobs, right? So it's then deciding, okay, what's the next step to move forward? That was a really long way of answering your question, Adam. But um, And it kind of depends too. You know, of course, there's a step-by-step process and Dave Ramsey has his baby steps, which are fantastic. Dave is awesome. And they're so great. But it's about doing one thing at a time, not thinking, what are the 500 things I have to do right now? then you're going to get overwhelmed, right? There's a psychological thing yes. to that as well. Yes. Um, so it's a deciding together what's the next step. What does that look like? From your perspective, you know, talking about the steps, once mm-hmm. somebody has saved up um, their emergency fund and they have paid off debt, um, what do you recommend doing next uh, in terms of investments, um, you know, you know, financial, financially, um, when someone's financially savvy and they're working toward those next steps, what, what should they do? Yeah. So generally you want to start investing for retirement and that's in line with Dave's, um, values or his baby steps and his values, I guess. But, um, I also say, you know, start investing something, but also there are, I kind of look at it like a little chicken foot, right? Like you can do a couple different things at one time at that point, because you've simplified your life enough that, 
doing that simultaneously investing for retirement and saving for a vacation or something is okay, right? Um, because you still don't have 500 million pieces moving. I'm not sure if that makes any sense, That's but, good. but overall, truly Dave Ramsey's baby steps are great. If you're the kind of person that wants that one, two, three, I'm the kind of person now where we are investing for retirement, but we also are saving, uh, we had our fully funded emergency fund, but we wanted to make it a little bit more. So I'm investing for retirement and, uh, upping that savings goal for the moment. Nice. Does that make sense? Yes. So, yeah. um, but definitely want to make sure people are investing for retirement or uh, whatever that looks like. Uh, you know, I say invest in index funds and caveat, I'm not a licensed professional. I'm just someone who learned things on the internet, but um, so I'm not <laughs> like liable, a, but like Vanguard or something like that. Yeah. Like an index funds have very low fees too. And the index fund people are like, okay, so do I in invest in an index fund or a Roth IRA? Well, it's not like that. The, the Roth IRA is the vehicle that holds the funds, right? And so I think people get really confused about what that is. But I always say, if you have your your emergency fund, um, start investing for retirement because I want you to have money when you retire. I want you to have um, money to do the things that you you know you want to do. And if you're debt free, fifteen percent of your income, twenty percent of your income, whatever, is not a whole lot, right? If you're debt free because you already have freed up so much of your sure. income from that debt payment, but overall, Dave Ramsey's baby steps are perfect. Um, I'm more of that person that's kind of, you know, I want you to save your emergency fund, get out of debt. Um, and then after that invest, but then after those things, I'm kind of that person that can tweak things a little bit. I like you know your chicken I mean? foot but analogy. You can kind of have, foot, yeah. yeah, you can have your, your feet, your toes into different pools. Before we yes. just roll over, um, the emergency fund, because that I feel like is kind of pertinent to what's yes, happening yes. in today's world right now. Um, some people might have it. Some people might not. Could you speak to why would someone want to um, set up an emergency fund? What does that do for you? Mm. And um, maybe even their, their job hasn't been affected by the COVID-19 yet. Um, but and they still have the ability to save. So yeah. can you speak to that a little bit? Like what is an yes. emergency fund? How much should we uh, go for and why? Yes. So Dave says, I'll, I'm using Dave as an example because most people have heard of Dave, right? So Dave says $1,000 and then start paying off your debt, which I think is a pretty good starting point. However, I like to say save one month of your expenses and then start aggressively paying off your debt because where y'all live, is a lot different than where I live. So true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are, so you want to have one month of expenses. So that includes things like rent. Um, and truthfully, I always say, you know, your minimums on your debts, things like that, if you can, but at a minimum, you want to cover your four walls. And that's even now during coronavirus, cover your four walls, which is your shelter, your transportation. Cause if you are working, you got to get to work, right? Uh, your, um, utilities and then groceries, food, basic food, right? Um, I'm not saying go below all your paycheck on food, but you need to have the basics down. So th that's the first things. But a reason you want to have an emergency fund is this is prime example, what's happening right now. At any point, our jobs could say bye-bye at any point, regardless of this, right? 
Um, so you want to have an emergency fund so you can not be wigging out when something like this happens, right? right. The ba- the best to have is the best amount to have is three to six months of an emergency fund. And I've actually been thinking, you know, they're talking about the airlines and all these businesses closing down. And I'm like, why do these businesses not have emergency funds for stuff like this to cover their expenses? Now, I know airlines are on a whole different level, but Dave Ramsey, I guarantee you, has an emergency fund for his company right now, right? And so if you're a small business owner, the same would be um, for that to try to have six months of your expenses for the business, put away or at least one month, right? And part of being uh, an employer is your expenses are your employees, right? Um, and so that's another conversation for another day, but I've been thinking about that, but that's why, because at any point, and it's not just we're closing or we're living, but also it's the peace of mind Yes. of knowing, oh my goodness, you know, like, yes, I'm worried about the safety and the health of the people around me right now. I really am. But there is a, a calming effect to knowing, hey, we're okay to go you know, some months without income because we know we have that to lean on. Mm-hmm. And it really does help with all the other, to manage all the other stress that comes yes. in. Yes. Because two years ago, we were in a place, we had no money. We had lost our jobs. We were steep in debt. We didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. And we were in a great economy. Sure. Um, I just told my husband two days ago, I said, I am so thankful that we have money set aside for it, this exact reason and that we've changed our habits enough that we don't panic buy stuff too. I mean, I'm not talking about toilet paper. I'm just talking about when people are stressed, they, I guess maybe I am talking about toilet paper. Don't spend, you know, whatever. But, but when we're stressed, we have like triggers, right? And one of my triggers used to be, well, I'm going to go distract myself by spending money. It didn't matter what that looked like when I didn't have the money to spend. And some people are doing that now even. Um, and so not only that, but again, back to the behavior piece of building a good habit and it takes time, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, but, um, those things, but yes, it's so, so, so important. The peace of mind is everything, right? And humans, we're resilient. We are amazing, amazing creatures, I guess, because we're resilient, we're adaptable. You know, we can, we, I, I already said today, I said, we are going to be shocked at the ingenuity and the problems that are solved because of all this happening right now. People are going to get creative. And um, that's what you sometimes have to do with your finances. You got to get creative. You got to, okay, well, you know, we are going to maybe live on beans and rice for a second. I like beans and rice, you know, <laughs> red beans and rice or something. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, you got to get creative. That's why this value aligned spending thing is so important. I know I'm drifting a little bit from the, the question what I do. But the value in line is figuring out what you do actually care about, right? And then not worrying about all the other stuff. So if you love your home, then by all means, stay there. But if you don't really, maybe you don't need as big of a house as you do or as expensive or whatever that looks like. If you don't need that, then say, okay, then I'm going to spend my money on things that I do want to spend money on, you know? Um, And it helps in times like this too. Um, That's good. So, so for people who um, don't have that emergency fund saved up and they hit, you know, some, a roadblock, whether it is losing their job during COVID-19 or something else throughout their life and they hit a roadblock and they need 
extra funds. Um, do you recommend that they stop paying off debt or limit how much they're paying? Can you speak to that a little? Yes. Actually, in a time like this, if you don't have an emergency fund, and really if you lose your income um, until you can get your income back, you want to pay um, the minimums if you can. If you absolutely, if you can, I'm not saying throw it all away, but if you maybe let's say you're just getting reduced hours or something and you can still pay the minimums on your debt, do that. Um, but if you are aggressively paying off debt, and, and you, and you have, let's say a thousand dollars or one month of expenses in an emergency fund, but you don't, um, right now you lose your job, then you need to be stashing away money as like much as you can. The debt, the creditors will get their payments. They will eventually, but they're not paying for you to live. Right. And two, I don't want people to revert back to using debt to help their lives. You know, um, I understand that in times like these, I get it. You know, people may have to revert to that, but if you can pause your debt snowball and just pay the minimums on your debt, or if things get bad enough, a lot of times you can call, this is another thing. Communication in everything is key. If you call your creditors and talk with them, they often have, um, programs set aside for things like this. In fact, you may have already the listeners may have already received an email from their credit card company or even their uh, energy companies or whatever saying, this is what we're doing during this time to help. Mm -hmm. For instance, when we were paying off debt, there was one point when I did lose my job, right? So I called the credit card companies and I was like, look, you're going to get paid, but I can't pay you for X amount of weeks or months. And then they set you on a plan without, sometimes without fees or without late fees, things like that. So communication, call your creditors, talk with them, see what they're, see what they can do. Sometimes they can, it, it depends. Every creditor is mm. different. Your student loans are different. I think that does go back to Jesus where he says that you have not because you ask not. Yeah. <laughs> so I say that all the time about everything, about a raise, yeah. about about anything. It, the worst that someone can say is no. And then you then they have it on record though, because I used to work in banking and stuff. They usually take notes after they've talked to you. They have it on record that they talk to you and you let them know. And generally they have some kind of program uh, for hardship. That's the word I was looking for. Hardship program set aside for things. They're, they may not be actively advertised, but um, generally if you call and communicate with them, it's okay. And they're humans. Um, they probably want to help you. And if you're yes. honest, so the solution isn't just stop paying it all together and just ignore it, which is kind of like stuffing and, and really hurts your own psyche. Calling yes. them, facing the fear of talking to another human being about your problems and saying, hey, um, I'm not going to be able to pay because of this hardship. Could you give me some leniency? Can you give me some grace here? And they'll help you. Yes. That's really, that's well, really helpful. 98% of the time. They are, they have some kind of, pro, not even just coronavirus, but in general, okay. um, they have some kind of program set up. So just ask, just call and ask because you're, if you don't tell them they're going to pile on fees, you're going to, you might get things closed down, you know, just call mm. them and talk to them. So that's probably the biggest thing, but yeah, pause your debt snowball, pause paying off a ton of extra debt and stash away as much money as you can into a, um, a savings account or even a different checking account. And I, I said this today, if I say cash on hand, I don't always mean like literal cash on hand um, because actually if your money is in a bank 
or in a credit certain credit unions, um, it's FDIC insured. So up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars is insured if it's in the uh, the bank, rather than mm-hmm. if you go and pull out four hundred thousand dollars in cash. Like, well, what, first of all, we're going to keep that. Secondly, under my bed, you know what I mean. <laughs> so it's best to right, right, yeah. So it's best to keep it in an actual account that's FDIC okay. insured. Good, good advice. I think another question that couples are asking around this time, um, you know, of crisis is, do I take my investments out? Do I cash out my 401k? Um, You know, I don't want the market to crash even further and lose all my stocks. And, you know, so how do you speak to couples like that who are fretting? Yes, that should be a last resort. Actually, uh, credit cards and using debt should be to pay for your everyday needs should be a last resort. Um, they, I actually just read that at the time today. So at the time when this goes out, I doubt it'll be changed in two weeks in Jesus name it might be, but they have stopped the, um, 10% fee that you get when you, uh, the penalty when you withdraw from your 401k, the federal government has, I, I have not looked up all the data, like the details on that, but I just read that today and that actually just reminded me. So regardless, what I'm saying is you may have a um, a penalty if you do that and you're going to have to pay the taxes on whatever you do disperse, but it is, I you can, you can withdraw from it. Now, if you have a Roth IRA, um, something aside from your 401k, you can withdraw certain amounts and this is very deep and maybe I can find an article that links it and you can put it in the um, show notes or something. Yeah. But you can withdraw up to, I think it's up to a certain amount um, that you've actually put into your, your Roth IRA. You can withdraw it without a penalty or fee for things like um, for certain things. So we may actually need to cut this out and I'll just have you link a, because uh, it's okay. kind of tricky. Okay. But yeah. bottom line is, bottom line is, you can, and I think that you should do that before credit card. You were to use a credit card, but, specifically. But okay. kind of what I'm hearing is, if though you have your basic needs taken care of, the 401k or the long term investments are just that long term investments that you don't right. touch, right? Unless in great need, but not just as a knee jerk reaction to get out of the market. Correct. Yes, because truthfully, if you withdraw right now. You're going to take actually a hit. not because the market's down. You're going to take a hit, and truthfully, it's better to keep it in there if you can, because the market's going to correct itself at right. some point. It's a long-term game, as you said, Adam. Um, that should really be one of the last resorts, but it is an option if people mm-hmm. need it. But truthfully, again, just calling your creditors, talking with them. If you want to, that also brought up another another point. Temporarily, um, stop contributing to your retirement accounts. You can change that if you are still. Um, receiving a paycheck and you still have income, stop contributing to your retirement accounts or any kind of account like that. While you're, if you want to have more cash on hand because that's going to be more cash in your paychecks. Right. So those are things that you can do. Every situation is a little bit different, but, um, you know, try to just put away as much cash as you can, whether that means, uh, chilling out on what you go out and spend money. Although everything's kind of closed right now. So you're on a no spend challenge anyway, um, except for Amazon, which is kind of good. What? I said, except for Amazon. Right. Oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> You're right. And even they are, though, they're saying not to go crazy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's true. So just to turn this conversation a, a little bit, yeah. I wanted to ask, what are the, the kind of the red flags that you would like to talk about with married couples that come to you? That you're like, hey, we need to probably talk about this because I could see potential problems in the future if you continue on this course. What are those things that kind of pop up from time to time that that are common and that maybe can address be addressed here regarding finances within the marriage? Yeah, and I think I've been clear that I am not perfect, and this is something where me and my husband still work on every single day because, you know, there are certain things that I he likes to spend money on and that I don't really, or we may have not had a better conversation that day about things. So I just want to be completely real about that. Cause you know, that's, uh, that's just one of my values is being real. Um, but a couple of the things is, this is actually a really hard question because there's a couple of different red flags. Um, one of the things is if you haven't, I guess, if you feel like you can't have a conversation about money with your spouse, about finances with your spouse, um, if it maybe turns into a fight or if they're just like, nope, it's fine. Everything's fine. All is fine. You know, Avoid the world's it. on fire, but everything's fine. Mm. Um, but that can be for anything, right? Um, in any kind of uh, situation, it's the same. Well, there's a lot know, of emotion finances. attached to money. A lot of emotion and we don't. So I guess one of the best examples is, and I'm sure that you've heard this is, you know, um, people have this, if you're, if you're rich and successful, you're a bad person. Or if you're poor, you're, you're worthy, right? There's like weird things that people think of. And um, the Bible says that the love of money, right, is the root of all evil, not money itself. In fact, there are many people in the scripture who are very successful and very rich, wealthy, right? And wealth, money um, can help do a lot of things if put in the hands of the right person, right? It's not about that. And so, but all that to say, we get these, uh, even I've had to work on things, you know, uh, that I have to live a certain way because I'm an American. I have to have this and this and this and this, and I have to do this and this and this. And maybe your spouse grew up very poor and they, they didn't have those things. And, um, anytime somebody did get money, it got spent. So it's those kind of things that it, it very emotional about money. And those are just things you really have to work through and, and talk through. And again, I'm, I'm, st we still are not perfect. We still are trying to figure out all that out too. But that's one of the biggest red flags is if you feel like you can't talk to your spouse about money or it turns into like, like a, a big argument, you know, like and that's you, wa when you, you know walk something. around the, the lump in the carpet that's been there for a long time. You just never touch it. You just kind of kick it under every once in a while. Yeah. And a lot of times money is that because, and even in our family, I mostly handle the finances. Um, of course we I talk about why. it, but <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> mostly I handle it. Right. But it still is a conversation that I'll say, Kyle, you know, these bills are due this week. Um, now we have that flow. We have more of that flow. You got to figure out what that flow is for you. And I really think part of that is just communication factor. And I'm not a therapist. I'm not anything like that, but going to someone like you guys, a couple like y'all, but talking about those things with a therapist, right? Um, getting help that you need to talk through those things because I'm a financial coach. I'm not a therapist. I don't, I, I have uh, ideas and help about how to talk about those things, but a lot of times it's a deep rooted issue that 
really needs to probably be worked on through therapy truthfully and that's not me trying to be a cop-out or like whatever but truthfully (laughs) sure you know yeah Yeah. how do you feel about um a wife having an account and the husband having an account and having separate accounts in the marriage i really think that husband and, and wife should have joint accounts now that's not to say that so I've heard, um, and we kind of have a, a system like this, but I have a separate account for if um, I'm trying to buy gifts or something or, or whatever, but Kyle has access to those accounts if he needs them. It, it's more like if I were to die or something, he could have access to the money in it. But really truthfully, um, I've heard it called what happens is it's kind of like keeping, you know, your life separate. And we believe that when you're married, you're mostly married, you know, you're married for life under very few circumstances. Um, And I really believe that having uh, finances together is the best thing because it's, it's like financial, I've heard it said financial infidelity can happen really if you're not aware of what's going on. Right. Um, so I really have strong opinions about that. I'm not saying it's the right thing or the wrong thing, but I think that when you do become married, you become one, right? And at least being able to say you and your spouse have a time of a week or month where you go over those accounts together and look at things, right? I don't know what that looks like, but truthfully, it's just easier. I think sometimes if they are combined, but that's my opinion on it. Talk with your pastor, whatever. I don't know, but um, <laughs> the default, right? Talk it. to your pastor. Talk to your pastor. <laughs> what, um, but, yeah. can you go ahead and define financial infidelity? Yeah. So I believe that financial infidelity is when you spend money on some, okay, so we actually talk about this too. Um, Kyle and I have a, a, a like an amount of money that we will spend that we don't really have to talk about, right? But if it's over a certain amount, we're like, hey, we're spending it on this. We have that conversation. And what can happen is people start um, maybe spending money on, uh, a lot of money on, um, you know, in some households, like uh, a spouse has an addiction or something, but it could be as simple even as, as you you spend all your uh, $500 on Amazon and don't tell your spouse about that. That's the same thing, right? Um, it's all the same, right? If we were, you know, just like we don't uh, level sin, we don't say one sin is greater than the other. Consequences of certain sins are greater than the other, but the sin itself is still sin, right? It's the same with this. Um, if you and your spouse didn't talk about it, it can be an issue. So financial infidelity is really anything that you, you keep from your spouse that you haven't previously put a, uh, stipulation, I guess on an expectation on. Thank you. Um, and that's something too, that, you know, Kyle and I have had to talk about, you know, there were times that, um, when I started my business, he knew about it. Like he knew that I started the business on credit cards and the credit cards weren't in his name, but truthfully looking back, like, did I tell him like how much it was? I don't even remember. And that should have been very clear in my mind. We had this conversation about how much it was and that's just me being real. But I don't remember if we did. And that makes me think I probably didn't. And that to me is financial infidelity a little bit, right? Because our money is our money. Um, How we spend our money is, is, is how we spend our money. You know, in our house, it's not his or, or mine. It's, it's ours. 
because it goes to the same account, goes to pay the bills at the, the place we live at. Adrian, this is so good. You've given yeah. us so many good nuggets and um, stuff that's applicable in light of COVID-19, but also stuff that's applicable to our lives, hopefully after COVID-19 uh, ends and we get into recovery mode. Um, but we wanted to ask you if you have any book recommendations or resources for our audience. Yes, there's actually a book. Um, why did I just space on the title? But I read it. I think it's a great uh, starting point for married couples when they're talking about money because it's very much about togetherness and it's from a biblical perspective as well. Um, your money or your your money or your marriage, I think is what it's called. I apologize, but it's by Cheryl Lowe, Cheryl and Brian Lowe. I can't remember if that's the same exact title. We'll link it here I, in the show I, notes. Yes, too. yes. I believe it's called Your Marriage or Your Money. I actually gave it away to someone. So that's why I can't like look at my bookshelf and figure out what it's called. But that's a really great starting point. Okay. And then of course, Your Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey is a perfect starting point too. It's very bite-sized um, nice. too. So Excellent. Well, we're going to move on to our Dear Young Married Couple letter. And before we do, we wanted to ask our audience, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, please take a moment and leave a review on iTunes and um, a star rating. It helps us reach many, many more couples. So thanks, friends. All right, Adrian. So we're moving on to our Dear Young Married Couple letter. Rewind to the beginning of your marriage and fill in the blank thinking about what advice you wish you would have received, dear young married couple. Dear young married couple, talk about money before you get married, whether that's like a week before. I mean, don't you don't have to go super in depth, but talk about how you both feel about money before you get married. Excellent. Very good. Thank you. Folks, if you want to get in contact with Adrian, you can go to www.faithinfinance.org. Um, you can also check out her podcast, Faith in Finance, and you can find her on Instagram, which is, which is at faith.in.finance. So thank you so much, Adrian. It's been an honor to have you on with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. All right, friends. We really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance with individual counseling or couples counseling, or even help with you as a couple reaching the goals you have, just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797 or shoot us an email at hello at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward progress. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at Dear Young Married Couple. And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week.